good to see all of you. There's so many of you here. And there's one thing for sure. We probably don't all know each other that well. But there is one thing I do know about all of us that we all have in common, and it's that we all have questions. You've got questions. I've got questions. Everybody everywhere has questions. And so I wanted to know what questions people had. So I went to the only place you should go when you're doing research, right? Google. And I looked up what people wanted to know. And here's a few of these questions. The first one is, why is there a leap year? Number two, when did I become old? Number three, when is Mother's Day? Moms, we're just making sure that we're on time. That's all this is. Number four, how do I use the TikTok? Got to include the word the there. I can only guess who's searching that up. Number five, how do I lose weight? Number six, is God good? And number seven, why doesn't Dan Snyder accept the San Antonio Spurs as his NBA basketball team and totally reject this team known as the Denver Nuggets? I don't make the rules, Dan. The internet does. It's all true. But like I said, we all have questions. And today we're going to be focused on one question in particular, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But asking questions is part of human nature. It's just built into who we are. It's in our DNA. We're inquisitive, and we are curious about seemingly everything. But we're not the only ones who have questions. In fact, God has questions too. And this is something that becomes evident very early in the Bible. So if you have your Bible with you now, I'd invite you to open it up to Genesis chapter 3. If you need a Bible, we have them on the back tables here. Or you can just follow along with scripture on the screen. Well, some of you may be very familiar with the story of Genesis. And others, you may not be as familiar. And that's okay. Because I'm going to give you a super quick abridged version of Genesis up to where we are at. But I would recommend that you go and read it if you have not in its entirety, in its detail, because it's just so good. So here we are. In the beginning, there's nothing. God speaks. He says, let there be light, and there is light. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the plants and the animals, the landmass, the ocean. He creates man and woman. And on the seventh day, he rests, and he's like, this is all good. I'm happy with everything that I made. Now, this man and this woman that he made, they're named Adam and Eve. And he tells Adam and Eve, you have dominion over this beautiful land, this Garden of Eden. It's paradise. And they're excited because this place is awesome. He says, you can do whatever you like. You can walk where you want. You can touch things. You can eat anything. However... There's one tree in the middle of this garden. You cannot touch it. You cannot eat the fruit on it. Adam and Eve, they agree, and they go on, and they live their life. And for some time, all things we assume are good. But then, in the beginning of chapter 3, we find the woman we know as Eve, and she is talking to the serpent. And this serpent, he is cunning, and he is clever, 
and somehow he convinces Eve to disobey God. She ends up eating the fruit from the tree in the center of the garden. Then she decides to give some to her husband, Adam, and Adam eats it as well. After they eat it, it doesn't take long for them to realize that they have done something wrong, and they know it. They become scared. They realize that they're naked, and then they run off and they hide. And if you were here with us last week, Sarah talked about the shame that Adam and Eve felt in this moment. We see this happen as we read in verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But then something really interesting happens. God shows up. And he says this. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God asked a question. And in fact, it's the very first question that God poses to humanity. And by all accounts, on the surface, it is so simple. It's based on geographical location. He wants to know, where are you? Where are you at? What's your location? It's so basic, in fact, that the question is very easy to miss. It's very easy to just pass over if we're not careful. But there's something that I want to point out. Whenever God speaks, it's important. And if God is God and he's the maker of the universe, of the heavens and earth, he's all-seeing, all-knowing, he's everywhere at all times, why would he waste his time asking a question about the location of the only two humans in existence. You see, God's question here, it serves a much deeper purpose that extends well beyond his need for information. God didn't need to know where Adam was. He didn't even need him to tell him the sequence of events that had happened up until that moment. So then what was God asking here? What was he saying? At this moment... He was asking a rhetorical question. What Adam heard was, where are you physically located right now? But what God said, what he was actually asking, was where are you, Adam? Where are you that you're so preoccupied, so distracted, so caught up, so overwhelmed, and so unavailable that you're missing this moment right now, right here with me? You know, I can't help but notice that in these two verses, God is fully present. He is exactly where he's supposed to be, exactly at the time that he's supposed to be there. And Adam, he was so close. He was almost there, but he had some stuff going on in his life, and he got distracted. And for just a moment, he forgot who his priority was. He forgot where his priority was. So this question of where are you, it's clearly more than a question. In a single verse and through the very first question God presents to humanity, he demonstrates his desire for open communication. He invites humanity into an authentic relationship with him. And God also shows us that he's willing to pursue Adam even as he runs away. 
The truth is that God has always pursued a relationship with humanity in personal and intimate ways. And this is evident all throughout scripture. If we need some more examples, we can fast forward to the book of Isaiah. And we find God emphasizing his love and his pursuit of the Israelites. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 5, it says this. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, that your Savior I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I got to tell you, it feels like God's intention is undeniable right here. He reveals his pursuit of humanity through intimate knowledge and personal connection with his people. We see this in the way that he addresses the Israelites by name. It signifies his recognition of their individual identities. As their creator and redeemer, God emphasizes his role in their formation and in their deliverance. The imagery we see in the story of God walking through trials with the Israelites, it illustrates his constant presence during the challenges he knows they will face. Ultimately, God's deep love and commitment are evident as he gathers his people from all corners, demonstrating his unwavering pursuit of a meaningful relationship with humanity. And he didn't stop there. In the ultimate pursuit, God sent his son Jesus Christ to live with humanity. In his life, death, and resurrection, it's vividly depicted all throughout the Gospels. But when God sent his son, Jesus, to live with us, he came to reflect God's desire to relate to, to teach, and to heal humanity. It showed his profound love and compassion for his people. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, that served as a redemptive act. It was meant to reconcile a broken humanity with a holy God. It bridged the gap between us and God that was caused by our sin. Then in the resurrection, Jesus brings the promise of new life, an eternal relationship with God. It proves God's power over death in his unwavering commitment to humanity's salvation. The entire life of Jesus, it's the greatest story that's ever been told. It's a story of love, sacrifice, redemption, forgiveness, and pursuit. 
It shows God's relentless pursuit and unchanging love. And the evidence of God pursuing us, it's not just relegated to the Bible. In fact, we see it even in our lives today. I can think of a time when we moved to Florida, that was back in 2014, my family and I. And we lived there from 2014 to 2021. During my time there, I was on staff at our local church. I was a pastor there. And I loved what I did. I, I really enjoyed it. I felt like I was walking in my calling and I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do. But then in 2019, I made a decision and it was I would say probably one of the hardest decisions I ever made in my life. I walked away from the church. I walked away from my position on staff and it really felt like I was walking away from my calling. And I'll spare you all the details, but the important part is that my family, we had experienced a lot of really hard moments, a lot of pain a lot of hurt while I was on staff there. And it got to the point where we didn't have any other choice but to leave. It was the healthiest thing for us to do. And so I did, and it was hard. But walking away, it, um, it had some unforeseen consequences. We lost our friends, we lost our community. It was hard, but I, I was able to deal with that. The thing that really got me, the thing that really pushed my buttons, pushed me over the edge, was when it started to impact my family and my kids directly. That's when I became really angry and really resentful. That's when I became skeptical. Because I didn't understand how such a good God and somebody who loves us so much, that cares for us, that's supposed to be so perfect, how he could let this happen. I didn't understand how people who followed him, who loved him, who taught about him, could treat us the way that we were being treated. So in that moment, I made another decision, and that was that I didn't want anything to do with the church, I didn't want anything to do with God's people, and I definitely didn't want anything to do with God. I swore him off. I told him I will never serve you again. I will never go back to a church. I will never work for another church. And then in 2021, my wife Renee and I, we made a decision to move here to San Antonio so we could be closer to our family. And it didn't take long for, of us being here for me to uh, hear something from my wife that I wasn't ready for. And that was, I want to go back to church. I would like to go back because I miss the worship. I miss the people. I miss the community. So can we start going over the next couple of Sundays? I did not want to do that. Not at all. So I did what any strong husband that's leading their family would do. I put my foot down and I was like, we're not going to church. It's not going to happen. And so you can probably guess what happened next. The next few weeks we spent Sundays checking out local churches. 
to see if we could find one that we liked. And I may have been stubborn and I may have been frustrated and angry, but if there's one thing that I had learned after 16 plus years of marriage, it's that I'm happier when my wife is happy. So we did, we went to church, we checked it out, listened to the worship, the welcome. I would watch everybody with their hands raised high and inside I would be falling apart. I would have to get up and try to calmly exit the worship center and I thought I was walking, I might have been running, who knows, but I was having a ton of anxiety, the panic was real and I would find myself hiding in the restroom stall door closed, feet up, trying not to look like a crazy person as I talk to myself and try to calm myself down. And then one, one time in particular, I remember calling my best friend Ray, and I was like, man, I, I need help. I am freaking out right now. I am so anxious. I'm, I'm so panicky. I don't know what to do. And in classic Ray fashion, he said, bro, that sucks. I don't even know what to do. I hope you figure it out. And so with this wisdom, I, I went home and I was trying to figure it out on my own. <laughs> I tried to work through that and I tried to do what I think a lot of us do at times and that's just kind of make myself feel better, soothe myself, smooth it over. But things didn't really seem to change until there was one week we decided to come to Outer West. And actually we sat on these four chairs right up here in the front and as I watched my wife raise her arms up and sing, I just sat there. I can't remember what we were singing about. I can't even remember what the message was fully about. Sorry, Alan, it was a great message, I'm sure. But I was just so in my head, trying to figure everything out. But it was different, and I, and I wasn't sure why, but I sat through the entire service, and I didn't leave. And when I got home later, I, I thought about it more. Why was I able to do that this time? What was different? And I couldn't figure it out. That night, I started to dream about God again. It hadn't happened in almost two years. Over the next few weeks, I found myself just coming back to church. No rhyme or reason, but just kept coming back. And then when I'd be at home, I'd find myself having these conversations with God. And it took a little while to figure it out, but then I realized I was praying. I realized that I was connecting with him. I realized that I was in relationship with him and that he had been pursuing me the whole time. But something had happened because at some point God was pursuing me and realized that I wasn't necessarily responding to that. So when it didn't work, he sent my wife and she got me to church. And obviously things are very different now. I'm here. I'm standing on the stage talking to you, sharing this story with you. 
But I, choose, I chose at some point to stop running from God and to start running to him. And clearly he has a sense of humor because not only did he break down all the barriers, everything that I tried to throw in his path to avoid him, but he also restored me to the very place that I swore to him that I would never go again. You see, the God, God's pursuit of love and relationship with us, it never stops. And just when you think you've gone too far or that you can't turn back, he shows up again and again and again. Some of you that are here in this room and some of you that are online, you have been running from God for quite a while. But his longing to know you and walk alongside you, it hasn't changed. It may not look like it did in the Old Testament. It may not look like it did in the New Testament. Maybe for you it's a, a text message that comes in at just the right time. Maybe it's that encouraging sign you read on the marquee as you drove down the road. Maybe it's your friend who's been helping you battle that addiction that you have been struggling with for what feels like forever. Whatever the case may be, you need to know that right now, God is still pursuing you. Now, I'd like to do something a little bit different as we get ready to close today. In about 20 seconds, I'm going to ask you guys all to stand up and jump on one leg. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that, guys. We're actually, we're going to get really, really still for a moment. In fact, I'd like to invite all of you to get comfortable wherever you are. And I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. And with our eyes closed... I want you to take a couple of deep, controlled breaths. Find your own personal paradise. What's that look like for you? Is it a beach? Do you hear the waves crashing on the shore? Maybe you're in the forest on the side of a mountain. You can hear the birds in the distance. You can smell the pine needles on the air. The air's crisp here. It's easy to breathe. Maybe you're at home and you're just in your safe spot. Wherever your place is, just breathe and rest here for a moment. After a time of being still and calm, you hear a voice. It's not mine. It is the unmistakable sound of God calling out to you. Where are you? As you hear his steps drawing closer, his gentle voice calls out to you again. Where are you? You can feel his presence now. He is standing right in front of you. He's inviting you to walk with him through this paradise that he created just for you. Just like he did in the beginning of creation. 
Once more, he asks, where are you? What do you hear when God speaks? Do you hear his invitation to walk in relationship with him? Do you hear the reassurance of a loving God? Do you hear the underlying message that there is no place too far and no sacrifice too great for him when it comes to connecting with you? And how do you answer? Maybe you say, I'm already there. I already know you, God. I know everything is good in my life because of you. I know you're Lord and I know that you are my priority. Maybe your answer is a little more complicated. I'm not sure I believe you. I'm not sure that I believe in you, God. I'm still struggling. In fact, I'm kind of angry with you about some things right now. For others, this may be the first time that you're considering a relationship with him at all. I hear something. I feel something. But I'm still scared. A relationship with you sounds beautiful, but why would you come looking for me? If you knew what I've done, if you only knew what I said, if you knew where I've been, how could you ever want me? Whatever your answer is, he wants you to bring it to him. Lay it at his feet. God is here. He's there, walking alongside you now. In the good, the bad, in sickness and health through your sin, your victories, your defeats, your addictions, the grief, the celebrations, the anxiety and depression, the laughter, your breakups, and through all of your questions. You don't have to search for God. He is with us always. Yesterday, today, he wants you to be with him. So what will your response to God's pursuit be to his question? Maybe today's the day that you're ready to accept his invitation. Maybe today is the right time to turn back to God and reconnect. Looking back, we saw Adam and Eve sin against God. They ran and they hid. This is where God's pursuit began. He pursued us in the garden. He pursued us through our trials and our challenges. He even sent his only son to pursue us through his sacrifice on the cross. And when that wasn't enough, he pursued us across death and through the resurrection. And yet, God pursues you still. With our eyes still closed, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us now. And then the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us through one more song. If you decide that you would like or need prayer at that time, we will have prayer partners waiting off to the side for you. Dear God, Heavenly Father, 
thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for pursuing us always, wherever we go, whatever we do. Thank you for being there. Lord, some of us that are here right now, we're looking for an excuse to turn to you. I pray that right now, today is that day. Today is the day that we offer up anything that we are going through, anything that we know we can't handle on our own, all of it. Today is the day that we give you our praise and our worship. God, be with us throughout this day, throughout this week, throughout this month, this year. And whenever we need a reminder that you are pursuing us, give it to us, God. We love you. We thank you. It's in your mighty name that we pray.